Welcome to the podcast series, Blindingly Obvious. My name is Minnie Baragwanath, and this series is based on my book by the same name. Blindingly Obvious is my story. It is a candid and deeply personal story about my life and work as a blind woman, social entrepreneur, and innovator. I wrote it in order to share my experience of blindness with others and in the hope that it might raise awareness and invite others to actively create a more accessible future, one that is full of possibility. A wonderful voiceover artist and now friend of mine, Romy Hooper, has narrated my full book, all 24 chapters. I do so hope you enjoy listening. It is an absolute pleasure to be able to share it with you. Audiobooks New Zealand presents this unabridged reading of Blindingly Obvious. By Minnie Baragwanath. Narrated by Romy Hooper. Introduction 2020 Vision. It was September 2020, springtime, in our isolated Pacific Island nation, Aotearoa, the land of the long white cloud, a country better known as New Zealand to the rest of the world. We, along with most of the world, were now virtually paralysed by the COVID pandemic each of us living inside our homes and inside our familial bubbles. Shops were shut, people worked from home where possible, and our daily lives were shrunk down to a microscopic size. Large portions of normal daily life suddenly amputated and completely removed with surgical precision. Many of us were merely functioning in survival mode. Our lives had been disabled. And yet, paradoxically, It seemed to me that other parts of our lives were now unexpectedly and inescapably amplified, magnified to such proportions we could no longer easily ignore our blemishes. We were forced to confront uncomfortable truths about ourselves. We no longer had the luxury to just jump on a plane to holiday in the Fijian sun if things got too much at work, or to just drive off in the car to the beach for a weekend getaway from our nearest and dearest if we needed time out or to pop down the road to the local for a glass of wine with our friends to have a casual chat. We had lost our familiar ways of communing or making sense of our lives and of releasing our individual and collective pressure valves. We were all trapped with our likes and dislikes, our fears and our triumphs, our doubts and our demons. For many, things we had tried to ignore, to avoid, or tried to keep a tight and closed lid on now surfaced now loomed up larger than life in front of us. Some started to drink in order to numb the discomfort. Some binge-watched Netflix to avoid rising feelings of uncertainty. Unhappy marriages started to crumble. Social inequity became even more visible. And around the world, the Black Lives Movement grew in intensity as we were forced once again to face the terrible, ever-present shadow of racism. Every day, Thousands of New Zealanders would gather religiously around their television sets, radios, phones, and online to listen to the daily briefings by our Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, and the Director General of Health, Ashley Bloomfield, as we heard about the growing numbers of COVID cases in our country. Day after day, week after week, month after month, we learnt to live with fear and radical uncertainty at our side as we surrendered our personal freedom for a greater good placing ultimate trust in our government and their care for our nation. We increasingly became more and more familiar with the different tools the government employed to manage the economy 
our health system, and a complex population of 5 million people. Of course, not everyone agreed with the approach our government was taking. Gradually, the outraged voices of dissent, who vehemently protested their perceived loss of personal freedom, grew louder and more angry. The rights of the individual versus the rights of the collective, an old and seemingly unreconcilable tension, was being played out yet again. We were all now living in a pressure cooker that would inevitably explode one day. As an independent, small island nation, we had taken an elimination approach to try and manage COVID as we strive to protect our country and our people from death, illness and disability. This meant implementing a radical strategy of total lockdown from the rest of the world, where for many months virtually no one entered or left our shores. Certainly those who did had no choice but to quarantine in government-sanctioned accommodation for weeks at a time. It was against this backdrop that my life changed forever. On one particularly memorable day in September, we were nearing the end of our second, very extreme COVID Level 4 lockdown in Auckland City. In a matter of hours, I was to meet with my younger brother Scott, He was the very first person I had seen up close or hugged in months. As much as I really did want to see him, I also felt consumed by a sense of overwhelming tiredness, a desperate deep fatigue. All I wanted to do was sleep. Should I reschedule our catch-up? But if I did, would he think I did not care about him? Would he understand? I could not take that risk. I had to press on and follow through and simply hope for the best. A day earlier, I had headed up Franklin Road towards Ponsonby in Auckland City on my precious daily walk when I felt an intense pressure across my chest. My chest felt so tight and I struggled to breathe freely. I had a sudden flashback of the TV ads which show the symptoms of a heart attack. But surely this could not be what was happening to me. Why would I have a heart attack? It just made no sense. I tried to dismiss this unsettling thought as best I could. However, a tiny niggle, a tiny seed of doubt was now gnawing away at me. I sat down on a low concrete wall partway up the long tree-lined street. The plain trees were bursting with new, fresh green spring growth. Aucklanders were out on their daily walk and there was a film of thick pollen in the air. I wondered if I was having a reaction to the pollen. Certainly the year before, when I had moved into my new home in Freeman's Bay, I had found myself choking and struggling to breathe due to the invasive tiny spores. I waited for the feeling to subside before I wandered home again. Once home, I lay down on my white linen couch, a futon-style Arabian daybed laden with colourful turquoise, jade, green and mustard-coloured velvet cushions that were scattered amongst a collection of soft pink throws. It was four in the afternoon when I stopped for a nap. I awoke at 9pm. It was dark as I dragged myself upstairs into my bedroom and immediately fell into a long, deep sleep. For many of us, these long lockdowns had meant months of total and extreme isolation in our homes, devoid of any human contact except via Zoom or phone or other digital media. Certainly for me, as a blind woman living alone, The lockdowns had challenged me very deeply. Over and over again, I had been brought to my knees, trying to perform the most basic functions of life on my own. From buying groceries online to accessing essential services, 
and even getting critical information from the official government COVID website, which was not accessible to the thousands of us who were blind. The COVID response had been a blunt one. It was a rushed blanket response to a crisis with little nuance for anyone living in different circumstances. Certainly in the beginning, it was a one-size-fits-all approach. I now felt heartbroken and exhausted as I sat in my garden, two metres from my younger brother, Scott, talking about our lives and the challenges we were both facing in very different ways. He was a father of four children, a husband and an entrepreneur working tirelessly 100 hours a week in his new startup. I, on the other hand, had just reached the 10th anniversary of my Accessibility Social Change Agency, Be Accessible, and was grappling with how to set up a new and very aspirational organisation. I had just passed the fifth anniversary of my breast cancer diagnosis in 2015. Our father had died very suddenly from cancer, less than a year after that. I had turned 50 in May, just a few months earlier during our first lockdown. I feared I had just lost about five treasured friendships during the last couple of years of running my social change organisation, Be Accessible, and now I felt utterly depleted and lost. I felt deeply bruised, battered and disillusioned with my life's work, and yes, with parts of humanity. I was partially blind and lived alone in my home in Auckland, and now I was wondering how I had got to this place. Had my life's work all been for nothing? Had the choices and the sacrifices I had made really been worth it? As Scott and I chatted, soon finding our way back to familiar topics and comforting points of reconnection, his children, our family, and our lives as entrepreneurs, the strange tightness from the day before returned to my chest. Instinctively, I tipped my head back as I tried desperately to open my airways, my lungs searching for air, searching for oxygen and trying to breathe. I felt my sense of reality starting to shift and move. I soon felt as though I was dreaming, floating, drifting quietly away. Then, Semi-conscious, I found myself slipping slowly off the low-slung wooden Indonesian chair in my back garden, onto the hard concrete pavers. I could feel the tumbling, vibrant pink petals of bougainvillea I so adored skimming my bare face and arms. I felt as if the branches and their beautiful blossoms were releasing me, letting me fall, and yes, letting me sleep. The uneven ground supporting the old wooden veranda felt safe a strange and harsh place of refuge. I surrendered. I arrived. I felt comforted. I knew I could fall no further. At last, I thought, I can truly rest. But still, deep inside me, I felt the need to reassure Scotty. I did not want him to think I did not care about him, that I did not care about our conversation. Somewhere I heard the words take shape, It's not that I'm not listening, Scotty. It's just that I do not feel very well. The words felt distant as they emerged from me. Even now, I was still offering reassurance, always offering support, always responsible, always the older sister, always trying to show how much I cared. And now, heartbroken and stripped bare, I was dissolving. Minnie was no more. I felt so peaceful. I felt myself become one with the world around me. It was such a relief to surrender and to just let go at long last. 
I felt a deep sense of calm as we waited an hour for the paramedics to arrive. I focused on my breathing, in and out, in and out. Years of meditation came flooding back to me. It all made sense. Just one simple breath at a time. That was all I needed to do. As we waited, the minutes slowly passed. We soon discovered waiting there in this strange place of refuge that as an otherwise healthy woman of 50, a non-smoker, not obese or with a history of heart issues, I was not prioritised as urgent. All I could do was breathe and wait. Later, as the paramedics carried me out to the waiting ambulance, I caught a glimpse of a familiar face. In amongst the overgrown garden, I could just make out the weather-worn bronzed statue of Buddha, sitting calmly amongst the petals, and Ivy, gently, lovingly watching over me, with me. That night, alone in the cardiac ward at Auckland Hospital in Grafton, I had another heart attack. This time was different. This time I felt terrified and certain my life was over. Earlier, when I was admitted, the nurses had told me to press the call button if I started to feel unwell. Somehow, I had had enough awareness to do this before slipping out of consciousness again. As I came to, there were people everywhere, all surrounding me, all looking down at me, all rushing purposefully around, tending to the beeping sounds, adjusting equipment, injecting me, monitoring my shattered heart, telling me to breathe slowly, telling me I would be okay, trying again and again to soothe me. At first, the specialists wondered if I had broken heart syndrome or takotsubo. Yes, it is true. It is a very real heart condition. People can actually die from a broken heart. It was quickly apparent to them that mine was not your stock standard cholesterol-related heart attack, and I did not fit the classic heart attack profile. Something else was going on, something unusual and out of the ordinary. I was in no way surprised to hear I may well have a rare and unusual condition. This had become a familiar refrain throughout my life. I wondered at what point we would stop looking to bell curves for a way to predict outcomes and likelihoods. As far as I could recall, I had never fitted into any bell curve, I was never the average, I was always the outlier. I wondered if anyone has created an outlier measurement tool yet. Throughout my life, I have often heard the expression, the scales fell from her eyes. But it was not until the 14th of September, 2020, that those biblical words became inescapably real for me. The scales truly did come crashing down all around me. COVID had given me, had given the world an unlikely gift, the unique opportunity to see clearly, to see truth, to confront parts of ourselves individually and collectively that we often ignored and pushed down and tried to avoid at all cost. That day my heart broke in two was the day I began the painful process of gradually facing my fears, facing the truth, and of putting my house in order. I took up the COVID challenge. For me, the reality of being a blind woman living in Aotearoa and having spent years trying desperately to advance social change, to create social equity for thousands of people living with a disability, was finally to become crystal clear. On that September day in 2020, I could see clearly for the first time ever in my life. It was all just so blindingly obvious. 
Why hadn't I been able to see the truth? Why hadn't I been able to see the reality till now? My friend and extraordinary Buddhist teacher, Meg Wheatley, had told me several years before when she visited my home in Auckland that the universe will come along and push you down, and push you down, and push you down repeatedly, until at last, broken and worn out, you surrender. At the time, I did not really understand what she meant, but now I did. During the next few days in hospital, and in between a myriad of invasive tests, I decided to watch the movie A Star Is Born, the Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper version, on my cell phone. While watching that beautiful and tragic love story, I felt my fragile heart would actually shatter with sadness. But, totally seduced, I watched it anyway. I knew, no matter how painful, I had to bear witness to life, to love the world as it really is, not as we might want it to be. After all, isn't this the job of poets and artists, to help us open our eyes and hearts to be with the world as it truly is? Aren't poets and musicians the true specialists in broken heart syndrome? Because otherwise, who do we become as human beings if we close our hearts to suffering? During an outpatient appointment at Auckland Hospital a few weeks later, my cardiologist finally gave me my diagnosis. You have SCAD, or spontaneous coronary arterial dissection. It is very rare, and there is no treatment for this condition. Basically, your arteries tear spontaneously. We think it is caused by an underlying condition called fibromuscular dysplasia, a congenital condition affecting mostly women. The same thing can happen to arteries in your brain, your lungs, your kidneys, pretty much anywhere in your body. Yours happened to be in your heart this time. The cardiologist was kind, open, and brutally honest in his diagnosis. He also told me that the greatest challenge with this condition was finding a way to maintain a positive mental attitude. It is easy to become terrified at the possibility of a sudden and seemingly random reoccurrence at any time. I understood. I was now living with a ticking time bomb. During my convalescence over the next few months, I felt deeply confronted by my mortality. With the shadow of death so present, I asked myself, what mattered deeply to me? What did I deeply care about doing if I only had limited time left on earth? The words of my friend and teacher Meg Wheatley also came back to me. The questions she offered up invited me to listen deeply to the world around me and to reflect on how I could best be of service. What does the world need right now? What does the world need from you in particular, Minnie Baragwanath? Minnie, what is your work to do? There was really no choice this time. The universe had pushed me down again. I had to take stock and review my life, my choices, my relationships with family, friends and colleagues, and in particular, my work driving social change. I had to try to make sense of some things. I had to try and find meaning in order to move on and to make a new life for myself. That is when I realized I had to write. I needed to write in order to find the words, the phrases, the frameworks, the patterns, and to try to make sense of feelings and emotions that I could not express or articulate to anyone. I had to write a book about my life and work as a blind woman and as a social entrepreneur in the 21st century. As I reflected on my experiences 
and what I needed to express, something else kept tugging at me. Something kept trying to grab my attention. A tiny wee word was calling out to me and trying to get me to listen, to deeply pay attention. That wee word, like a tiny mouse, would suddenly scamper across my thoughts when I was doing the dishes, or scuttle past my eyes when watching a movie, or I'd catch an ever so fleeting glimpse of it entering my dreams as I drifted off to sleep. That word was with. With. What an ordinary, unassuming word. Why did it keep on nudging me, poking me, and intercepting my thoughts? What was going on? Was this what I needed to write about? Did with somehow hold the answer to my questions? To Meg's questions? What would it reveal to me? In the spirit of the incredible Jewish Holocaust survivor, psychotherapist, and writer of the brilliant book, Man's Search for Meaning, Victor E. Frankel. This book, this exploration, this bearing witness to my life and the world we live in, this is my search for meaning. This is my search for truth. This is how this book was born. So welcome. I invite you to come with me on this confronting and deeply personal journey. It is humbling and a privilege to have you join me. With love, Minnie Amanda Jane Baragwanath. I do so hope you enjoyed listening to my book and podcast series, Blindingly Obvious. It has been an absolute privilege to be able to share this with you. Listen out for the next chapter coming soon. If you would like to purchase the entire book in audio or an array of other accessible formats, including New Zealand Sign Language, or to learn more about my work, visit my website, minib.co.nz. Thank you for taking the time to listen and to be with me. See you next time. With love, Mini B.